to save a little bit of money. If you're spending yes. more than you make, you've got to sit down. There's so many personal budgeting systems online right now that didn't yes. exist 30 years ago when I was there, but you got to manage your money. If you can't make more than what you spend, it doesn't matter what you do. You're always going to be in trouble. Once you get that habit and you can start to save a little bit of money, you need to surround yourself with mentors. You've got to find people that you want to like. It would be horrible to be a 19-year-old and you're getting your advice from somebody that you don't want to be like when you grow up. Whatever that is, if you're getting advice from a professor and you don't want to be a professor, maybe that's not the person you should get advice for, right? But if you want to be a doctor, you should be hanging around with doctors and getting a lot of advice from them and finding out what you should be doing during your summer, during your breaks, on your weekend. What should you be doing if you want to be in that field? So if you want to be an entrepreneur, you probably want to hang around with a lot of entrepreneurs. Show up where they go, find out where they are, and spend time with them. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. I'm super excited to have Richard Simtob, a serial entrepreneur, now a portfolio entrepreneur who has all sorts of different businesses that he is running across Canada and the United States. We contacted him in Miami Beach today. He's uh, just about to turn 50. And it's amazing how committed he is to learning and uh, his personal development, even having reached all the success that he's had. And one of the real things that I want you to pay attention to is his answer to the question, if someone was considering venturing out into the entrepreneurial world, what does he think one of the most important thing to do is? And I know you're going to love this podcast. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. I'm really excited to have Richard Simtob, uh, one of our really, really amazing serial entrepreneurs. He's had an incredible career of uh, Uh, entrepreneurial success. I'm sure there's a bunch of uh, interspersed challenges as well, knowing what the entrepreneurial world is. And uh, for us, it's actually the first opportunity in decades for us to be face-to-face, you know, chatting and uh, really, really excited, uh, Richard. And thank you for taking some time out of your time spending down in Miami this week with our young leaders. My pleasure, Chris. It was really amazing hearing from you after so many years. (laughs) <laughs> I looked, I was thinking back, and I was in your business, and it was called AAA Student Painters, and I know now your student yeah. works, 30 years ago. 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I know. And, and I actually am more passionate about what we're doing now than back in the day. And you know how, how passionate I was back in the day. It's just, it's so amazing because right now we really can see the impact of what we do now over decades, right? Like just, just hey, look what gets created. So tell us, what, what were you like before our program, Richard, before we bumped into you at Western? So I, I was an entrepreneur already. Yeah. I, was, I just spent the summer doing a t-shirt business where mm. I was buying uh, wholesale, plain, you know, different colors, and I was tie-dyeing. And I set up shops in three different corners of downtown Toronto, you know, Bay and Bloor, um, 
uh, right in front of the Eden Center at Dundas and right. um, Young Street, and then in Yorkville. And I had people working for me every day. I would stay up all night making inventory and during the day selling. And I was deciding that summer, I was accepted at Wilfrid Laurier in Western, and I hadn't made a decision to go to college. I was trying to decide if I should really just be a businessman and what would I do in college anyway. Right. I was involved with Junior Achievement, too, at the time, which is a great high school program. And in August, I was invited to a seven-day Junior Achievement business retreat, and they hosted it at Western. So I went to Western in August. I really enjoyed that Western University campus, and I thought I learned some stuff. And I said, you know what? My business didn't make that much money. I was maybe lucky if I made $4,000 that summer doing this business. And I said, I should go to Western. And I signed up the last week of August and I went to college that the next week. Well, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, it's funny, I still remember your summer and obviously our business, you know, just we've come a long way since then structures and systems and processes and branding and, you know, databases and all those sorts of things like there's cellular phones now, Richard, back in the day, right? You know, there is there is nothing like that, right? So, but what do you still rely on from the things that you learned back in the day? Boy, I, I mean, I think about what hard work is. That's what I think about that summer. <laughs> First of all, I remember my pager really well. It was on my yes. spend every day. I knew where every payphone was in my territory. And every time it went off, I ran to the closest payphone to go get my messages. Right away, the <laughs> was calling me and called back and I had a stack of quarters. It was the evolution you know, 1989 was the summer I was uh, a general manager. And yeah. that was when people just started getting cell phones. So my district yes. manager had a cell phone. And it was amazing because I could call him anytime and he would always pick up the phone. Only a cell phone bill was $1,500 a month, but it was available <laughs> to me at any time when I needed it. I wanted a cell phone too. I didn't end up getting one for another year after that. Right. I finally got one. But it was, I, I remember the determination of the, the relationships, the selling every day, right. the structure of my day. I remember being hands-on in the field and really working with employees. And the training program that you guys put together really prepared me for success. And I had never been through anything like that before. And I think of future businesses I've been involved with or I've started, I'm like, you got to have a training program that actually teaches people how to do things. And it has to be right. hands-on. So it was quite incredible, the learning experience and the foundation that was built for all my future businesses by the things that I learned. Um, I remember how you taught us how to estimate a home. You know, we had right. those big binders and we had to read them. And then we would spend an entire weekend, a Saturday and Sunday when we we're in college, in a classroom. I'm like, this is crazy. It's January and I'm sitting in a classroom instead of partying with my friends. You're like, if you're serious about your business, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Like, okay. And, and I did. And I learned breaking down a house in 15 minute increments and what I had to get and what materials I needed and calculate it and, and how to price a job and make money on a job. It was just incredible on the experience of doing that. That's awesome. And it's so funny, like for our leaders, a lot of times the you know, the, the whole idea of a pager was kind of like this little thing that buzzed on your belt for, for Richard and I back in the day. And again, uh, you know, good chance people don't even know what a payphone is, but basically a phone that you'd put a quarter in so that you could go call your client. 
So all the, the incredible technology that we've seen, you know, make progress over the years. But uh, I know one of the things I'm really excited about, you know, hearing more about, Richard, is just the different business ventures you've been involved in. And, um, you know, so why don't, why don't you walk us through, you know, some of the, you know, I, I know you've got a lot, but some of the significant ones, what you did, what you learned, et cetera. So I'll give you the quick, I went into college that first year just to, to learn something and to have that college experience. I lived in right. a residence, I had fun. But what was weird was I was one month into college and I was signing an agreement with your company to become <laughs> a manager. So I was only one month right. into college and I was already planning my next summer, which I think back was just crazy. But the planning that went into this, um, you might not remember, but I think it was with Paul Pasco. Yeah. My meeting, you know, I meet you guys in London. The meeting was in Toronto. And he's like, this is the only day I can meet with you. And it was my birthday. Right. <laughs> October 10th. <laughs> and you have to come to Toronto. It's a two hour drive. And this is the only day we can meet. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like you can't do it another day. No. All right. I'll be there. But I spent that whole year planning. So while I was planning this business, my head was so on the business. And right. by the end of, by the beginning of the summer, I was already, I was mentally wired that I was going to have a successful summer. You know, I, I'd seen, I talked to all the managers before me. I found out what they did and how they did it. And I try to learn as much from them. So I left college. I had already put a down payment on a townhouse. So I had a place to live the next year. I started my first wow. tiny little real estate investment, you know, with a first mortgage and seller financing and a little bit of money for my parents. I put a down payment on a townhouse. And then right. during the summer, I worked, I remember the first two months, seven days a week, 18 hours a day. And it was uh, midway through the summer, I took a Sunday off to like take a breather. And I had an employee that I knew from high school that was interested in a new business. And it was a franchise in the window tinting, our tinting. Right. And it was called Tinking and it was based out of Toronto. And I said, I know the owner of Tinking. The year before, when I was in the t shirt business, I sold his wife a whole line of clothing. She liked everything we made. Right. And I was at his house and he said, if you're ever interested in getting in the tent business, call me. Now here I have an employee that wants to get in the business. There's no location in my college town. Call up the owner. And while I was running AAA Student Painters the second half of the summer, I had bought a franchise that I opened on September 21st. So I came back, wow. you, know, you, you know how you end your business in August 30th. You sign up yeah. the second year of college. And three weeks later, I'm opening up a retail store on Wellington Road in Ontario. And so <laughs> I, I never stopped. And then that franchise, right. I took the positive experience and I, the franchise experience with AAA as student painters and the royalty and the structure and system. And I went into a new franchise, but it was a fixed asset. It was a retail store. And I really put a lot of that hard work and determination, never saying no to a customer, communicating all the time. You know, if you were late on a customer car, you didn't wait till they showed up and be mad. You'd call them in the office and say, listen, we're two hours late on your car. Please don't come yet. Perfect. <laughs> so you're not going to be upset because we're running behind. But I would never say no to a customer. We take every car that would come in. So that franchise, I went to school and did the franchise. And in my third year, I realized I couldn't go to school as a full-time student and run this full-time business. So I made a decision to go part-time. And then my third year at part-time, I was struggling to actually show up to class because I would judge. I have 10 people waiting to get work done and I have an exam. 
and I would skip the exam. <laughs> and I'm, like, okay, I'm paying for class. I'm not going to the class and I'm missing the exams. So I officially dropped out as a part-time student in my third year and ran that. Right. So four years of running the window tint franchise, we became a very successful franchisee in the network. And it was me and a partner. And I decided I was dating an American. I decided my life was going to be in America. It wasn't. Okay. I wasn't going to be in Canada for the rest of my life. And I tried to sell my partner my share of the business and I was going to move and start something new. Didn't know what. Right. He was wise. He says, well, you're going to need income. Let me be your partner. Whatever you're doing, keep half ownership in this business. So I went to the US and the business that we embarked on was called Talking Book World. So October 93, we opened up a retail store that had thousands of books on cassette tape. Now, I'm sure a lot of your listeners listening to a podcast about yeah. what cassette tape is, but that's what we listen to in our cars. And that's where I got the majority of my business education. So prior to, to meeting you, I've been listening to Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, and sit in my car, yeah. learning everything from them. And then I decided I wanted to share it with the world. Yeah. So we opened up this store and we started sharing it with the world. Just to share, just for our leaders, I just wanted to share that I was a I was a customer of yours, and I remember just going talking book world. What's this? Oh, this is fantastic! So I became a monthly user, and it was the same thing. It was like I'm doing all this driving. Why don't I listen to all these amazing books and keep listening? Because again, there were no podcasts back in the day. The internet was you know very very modest. There wasn't real opportunities there, and this was really really a huge thing in my mind. So tell me more about what happened, Richard. I grew Talking Book World. I started in my second year. We turned the profit. We sort of figured out the right. business model. We created, which is now known as the Netflix Unlimited model. No one did it. It didn't exist. Our company was the first one to invest. No due dates, no late fees. Every time you take a book, you could return and take another one and rotate. Yep. I tried convincing video stores in my neighborhood to adopt the same policy. No one would do it. They thought it was crazy. And then three years later, Netflix started doing unlimited rentals, no due dates, no late fee, which was incredible. So we grew it to 20 stores that we owned, right. me and my partners. And then I had 20 franchises. So by 1995, I became a franchisor. So I, right. being the, like, the franchisee, like I was at Student Works and Tim King, I learned how to be a franchisor. And that was an education, you know, because I knew what it that felt like to be the person receiving the support and the service. Yes. You guys did an unbelievable job. You Anything that I wasn't good at and did it for me, like my bookkeeping, the marketing, the call center, you know, the relationships with the vendors, you handled that and right. I just had to go sell. So now that I was the franchisor, I tried doing that for my franchisees. I was trying to make the business easy for them to run. Right. We had over 20 franchises and over 20 corporate stores. So our chain got to about 40 units. And in 1999, I brought in some outside investors, which... Um, was going to help us go. Was going to help us grow faster. What ended up right. happening is a lot of new lessons learned. We did not get along. We didn't see eye to eye. And a year and a half later, after I brought the investors, uh, they kindly asked me to leave the company. Oh wow! So I had to leave the company that I started. I was no longer. I was a fifty percent owner when I started it. By that time, I was less than a twenty-five percent owner. And it was sort of, you know, hitting the reset, control, alt, delete on your keyboard and the reset button on life. I had to, right. just had my second kid. So I had a two-year-old, I had a newborn. 
I'd lost my business and I started all over again. That must have been a real challenge, Richard. That must have been a real challenge. Like, did it impact your confidence? How was that personally for you? So I definitely hit a low point. Yeah. It didn't last very long for me. Not surprising. Because at that moment in life, it's like, all right, I can wallow in sorrow or I can go do something. And yeah. I went to my wife and I said to my wife, I said, you know, maybe this entrepreneur business ownership thing is going to work out. You know, I'm never right. home for dinner. I'm working on the weekends. I wasn't yeah. really a great, you know, husband and father at that point. And I should get a job. My wife looks right. at me and says, a job. <laughs> You gotta go start another business. I'm like, yes. really? Like, how are we gonna afford it? We'll work it out. We'll make changes. We'll adapt. We'll figure right. it out. And and that's what we did. So I started consulting. I started helping other people that had good business ideas to grow. And mm-hmm. I immediately uh, made, created a relationship within weeks with a company that had eight units in the cell phone business. And the owner and I just hit it off. And within a couple of weeks, he hired me as a consultant and we created a franchise program and I right. started offering his franchises and then 9-11 happened. So the world stopped. Right. And then I started doing some real estate consult, real estate brokerage. There was no franchise sales happening from September 11th to January 2002. It was like a really weird time in the world. And yes. then in January, things started picking up. Um, we started selling franchise wireless toys. I started doing real estate deals. I started helping people, consulting, growing a couple other businesses. And within two years, uh, I had sold over 30 wireless franchises and bought one for my brother. And I decided to go in full time. They offered me a partnership in the company and right. grew it like gangbusters from 2004 to 2007. We grew to 200 locations and we sold to a private equity firm. Wow. So that was a great ride. I stayed on board with the new company thinking we could get to a thousand stores, but then another recession happened in 2008. Right. Everything stopped. The wireless business like literally stopped growing. We had stores closed, all financing dried up and the world came to a screeching halt. And then when I left wireless toys, I decided to try to get into the online business. I tried a couple online startups, neither of them worked. And then I had to go back to what I know, which is franchising. And one of my previous consulting customers was in the soup business named Zoop. Right. Z-O-U-P. And I started helping him again. And then I bought out his partner. And in 2010, I became a partner in Zoop. And I've been growing that. Uh, we got that to 100 restaurants last year. Uh, we were wow. 18 restaurants at the time. I had done early consulting with him to get him going from five units to 10 units left, came back, bought out his partner. Now we had 100 units. And recently, last year, we hired an outside COO to run the company, sort of take my day-to-day role. Right. In between all this, I started making a lot of investments in other businesses. So I'm involved in a chain of swim schools where I own eight swim schools. I'm involved in a restoration company that I own with my brother in Canada. We're a franchisor. And, And recently, I bought a driving school. With some partners, and we're growing that business. Wow! So I've become a an entrepreneur. I know what my unique abilities are and where I get best, and I help each of these businesses in my ways to make them the best possible. So when you talk about unique ability, does that mean that you've done work with a strategic coach? I have. 
Yes. Okay, great. Because I spent a number of years there. So how long did you spend spend with the strategic coach? So I did the first two years with strategic, with strategic coach. My partner right. has continued. So I get, we basically, we meet every quarter and I learn what he's learned. Perfect. Both of us going. I feel like there's definitely some value in the basics that I've learned. And I just didn't see the value continuing for me, but I want to learn to do it. I could see you, you're such a quick start for you to st- spend time in a room, you know, uh, every quarter, I could see that being challenging. It's kind of have your partner go discuss it, decide what's new, you know, decide what to implement. I could see that working powerfully for you. It is. And we're implementing things, you know, in the company. And a lot of it is personal. I feel like it took more personal than business, but there's some things for the business that help so much because if you're good at structuring your days better and planning better, yes. then you bring more to the business every day. And, and that's been helpful to everyone that's in it. And when you think about, I don't know, it, maybe it's three fastest growing companies in America, or is it four now? I'm, I'm you know, being on the Inc. 500 list. But when you think about that, Richard, why do you think you've been consistently being able to grow businesses so quickly? I think one, you have to be in the right industry at the right time. So that's okay. number one. Um, but number two, you have to want to grow. You know, many companies that have a couple of units, the only reason they're at a couple of units is because that's where they want to be. Right. Um, if you want to scale a business, you have to make big bets. You have to right. in, build an infrastructure and you have to grow it. You know, Wireless right. said, we want to grow to hundreds of units. I'm like, this is what we're going to have to do. We have to hire these people. We have to put this plan in place. We have to do this. They're like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, Zoop was growing at a very modest rate of a few units a year. Right. And when I came on board, I said, to grow it, we have to improve our back office systems. We have to build an infrastructure to grow. And then we could grow at a dozen to almost 20 units a year each year to consistently grow. But it takes a lot of work to open 12 restaurants in here versus opening one or two a year. And you have to create a structure to do it. So structure in my sense is energy. Like that's one thing that, that we only spent a year together and, and I was just around you. But one of the things I always found you is just a ball, ball of energy, just to focus energy. And, and, I, and my sense is in this podcast, nothing's changed for you. No, I get accused of that all the time, having too much energy. <laughs> that's my biggest fault. Well, it's, it's not an accusation here. It's an admiration, you know, love it, love it, just love it. You know, and it is interesting. One of the other things I wanted to highlight for the young leaders on the, on the call, uh, or sorry, on our podcast here as well was timing. The timing really does play a really key role. You know, one of the great things about the student painting industry or window cleaning industry, timing doesn't play a role at all. People always need to paint. They always need a window clean. But when you're looking at the businesses that you've gone in, again, you know, investment will dry up, things won't move forward, and it really can have a major impact, can't it? Oh, totally. I mean, you, there's only so much you can push up in, in difficult times or difficult industries. Right. But I've seen people do really well in recessions, and I've seen people fall apart in boom times. So there's different things that play into that, you know, bad financial controls, bad management, bad leadership, you know, could hurt any business. And great leadership and great management to make a company thrive even in the worst of times. Exactly. We had some opportunities in the very difficult recession of 2008 that we could have maybe had wireless toys emerge a bigger company and better. Right. But there were some decisions that were made when we sold to a private equity company that you don't control. 
So now you're at the mercy of other people's decisions. And they had a strategy and a way to do it. I had some other ideas that would have had to change, go against the grain. I want to go against the grain. And they weren't ready to do it. So that's why the business ended up where it did. Right. Yeah. And so just in terms of, of partnerships then, Richard, because you've been in lots of partnerships. What's been good about those partnerships? What have you learned about creating great partnerships? And what have been some of the challenges around partnerships and why they haven't worked? Well, there's one thing consistent about my life. I've been successful in every single business with a partner. Probably the only business I didn't really have a 50-50 partner with was when I was running my, my painting franchise. Right. But I had you guys as a partner. You know, I had my, my area GM, but I've never done anything by myself. I'm only good at certain things. I am definitely not good at everything. So the beauty of a partnership is when two different people bring something different to the table. I've always said it. Me and my partner agreed on every single thing. One of us doesn't need to be here anymore. Ah. So we have to have a different of opinion. And then we have to be able to openly and honestly talk it out and come up with one direction and go that direction. And then you have to have clear lines of what's bet, what you're better at and what I'm better at. In my partnership in Zoo, in my partnership in Goldfish, in my partnership with my brother in Restoration One, you know, we clearly know what he does and what I do. I can't do 80% of the things that he does, and he can't right. do 80% of the things that I do. So we bring something to the table to make the company grow and to make it run well. And we act in our best areas that we bring the most value. Well, that's great. And, and actually, just to share with the, the leaders, uh, Richard, and I know on your LinkedIn, you actually share what your unique abilities are, but what are your unique abilities? What space do you occupy in your business? So I'm always, I like to um, uncover underlying issues. So wherever right. we are, in whatever situation, I like to get, find out what the core issue is. And it's usually with fact-finding, asking lots of questions, sort of looking behind and uncover the issue. And then, and, then, and this happens in negotiations, where I have to negotiate you know, a mutually acceptable solution. So this is where, and this is one of my key unique abilities is negotiating, but I have a right. landlord and I have a tenant. And the landlord wants a, you know, a high rent and the tenant wants to pay a low rent. But there's a number in there that makes sense to both of us. And I've always been able to find that sweet spot. And everyone has to give up right. and have to find. So I find a mutual way that everyone can negotiate a beneficial situation. And then my third unique ability is inspiring people, inspiring leaders and teaching. So I'm only as successful as the people that are around me. The only reason I don't have to do everything that I do every day is because I have amazing people around me that do it, but I've had yeah. to put them through courses, spend time coaching, give them some good guidance and help yeah. them get into the right direction and make them feel like they're really part of something and what they're doing makes sense. And I feel that that's a unique ability that's enabled me to delegate more and really spend more time in the areas that I'm best at. Yeah. And one of the other things, Richard, and, and just to share, because I'll share as well, my unique abilities are, you know, I've got really three things I'm really great at, and that is recruiting and enrolling people in, in my business, in my activities, in my life, and then training and then coaching. Those are the three things that I do. And I, and I literally, you know, there's, we have so many wonderful people in our business who support me because I am literally horrible at a lot of things that just kind of get managed. And, and our, our company has grown and grown and grown because there have been more people who've come in who've got those handled, which is just so fantastic. And you know what? Those three things you do are the hard things. 
those are the things that it's hard to hire for and all yes. the other stuff that you could be doing, like doing paperwork or following yeah. up or doing that detailed work would just take away from the company. So your company will be as successful as you are by the percentage of time you spend in those three areas every day. No, absolutely. Absolutely. The time you spend in it, the less successful, the more, the more successful. And I'm hoping, yeah. you know, anyone that listens to this thinks about what do they absolutely love to do? And I like the definition by Dan Sullivan of unique ability is when you're doing it, time flies and you're having yeah. fun. Yeah. So if, yeah. if I'm doing something and it doesn't feel like work and you don't yeah. even believe how quickly time flies, that's probably your unique ability. 100%. Yeah, no. And, and I get the sense you're still really a happy guy, right? And again, I think we're happy when we get to do things that we're creating value with. And again, like you said, time's flying. You're getting positive support because, again, I'm sure as well, the people who you're working with go, oh, yeah, Richard's just such a great positive person and help get me inspired, right? All these things that you're bringing to the business. I'm hoping that's what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes and sometimes I'm sure you're holding them to task at times, too. So yeah, one thing I don't stand for is people say I tried really hard. I said, I don't think we pay for trying. We pay for results. So trying doesn't count. We're not believers in trying either. Absolutely. That's, that's definitely, you know, try or do 100%. Yeah, there's no trying. So if someone was considering venturing out into the entrepreneurial world, you know, late 20s, early, or late, sorry, late teens, early 20s, what advice would you give them, Richard? Well, I would definitely give them some advice to save a little bit of money. If you're spending yes. more than you make, you got to sit down. There's so many personal budgeting systems online right now that didn't yes. exist 30 years ago when I was there, but you got to manage your money. If you can't make more than what you spend, it doesn't matter what you do. You're always going to be in trouble. Yeah. Once you get that habit and you can start to save a little bit of money, you need to surround yourself with mentors. Got to find people that you want to like. It would be horrible to be a 19-year-old and you're getting your advice from somebody that you don't want to be like when you grow up. Yeah. Whatever that is, if you're getting advice, if you're getting advice from a professor and you don't want to be a professor, maybe that's not the person you should get advice for, right? <laughs> yeah. If you want to be a doctor, you should be hanging around with doctors and getting a lot of advice from them and finding out what you should be doing during your summer, during your breaks, on your weekend. Yeah. What should you be doing if you want to be in that field? So if you want to be an entrepreneur, you probably want to hang around with a lot of entrepreneurs. Right. Show up where they go, find out where they are, and spend time with them. So now, what I will always recommend, and I still recommend this to anyone that wants to start a business, is buy a franchise. Yes. The first business needs to be in a proven system so you could learn how to run a business without having to figure everything out. I just right. can't imagine. So many people, their very, very first business they start is a startup and they open up a restaurant and they know nothing about the restaurant business. They don't have a concept to find. They don't have a menu. They don't have anything. It's hard enough to open up a restaurant if you're part of a franchise where they tell you the name of the company. They have the website made. Yes. They already have the recipe. They already have all the regulations. They have all the nutrition, everything taken care of. And it's still hard to run a restaurant. For sure. Imagine trying to come up with that and do it. And I said, until you become really good at running a franchise, you shouldn't open up your own business because you got to get good at running something. And then you can start taking on more tasks, which is trying to be the franchisor. And I do say being the brand, the person creating the brand is a lot harder than being a franchisee. 
being a franchisee, you just follow the system. Yeah. And when you're having trouble, there's someone to call. There's always someone more successful than you. There's always someone less successful than you. <laughs> you look at, but you can focus on the one and say, what are they doing better than me? And put your eye on the ball. Awesome. I love that. That's just so powerful. And again, certainly for me, you know, I guess I, I before, like, I guess for you, you ran a clothing business. For me, I ran a gardening business. And then I jumped into this because I, I was really limited in my learning, you know, and, and again, coming on and learning from other people, finding a mentor, finding other people who are doing it just made all the difference in my development. So Richard, if someone wanted to do what you do, what key habits should they steal from you or, or, or go and uh, grab from you? Wow. <laughs> Key habit. Well, I think definitely you have to have discipline. So I would say reading a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm turning 50 this year. All right. Well I'm done. Still learning. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm listening to books. I made a goal for myself this year to read 50 books. Wow. This is mostly business books, but I want to read more. Like I feel as much as I've done and I know there's so much more out there and the world is changing. The world mm-hmm. today isn't the world that it was 10 years ago. And there's more stuff that I don't know than I do know. So I would say that's a, a definite habit. And I would say the habit of writing specific goals. Yes. And reading them and reviewing them and revising them and checking on them and, and then sharing them with other people is a habit that I would say is my lifelong habit. Everything that I have today. I wrote down as a goal when I was a teenager. Yeah. Nothing in life has happened by chance. I teach a session to all my employees on goal setting. I've called it Dream Day. It's off the Dream Manager book. Um, right. It's been very popular out there in helping employees achieve their dreams. I made it into a workshop and I teach this to our employees because I want them to have strong personal and life goals so they could be successful at work. If they're just coming to work and they're just like on the hamster wheel, just doing yeah. work and they don't see a meaning in life, you know, they don't have that motivation and enthusiasm. So the dream day workshop, goal setting, really believing in what you could do. And then I learned through the dream day workshop and doing it for the last five years that a lot of people have trouble with their personal finances. Yes. I think the habit of managing your cash flow, looking at your numbers, staying as debt free as you can. I mean, most people are going to have to borrow money to open up a business and they're going to borrow money to buy a house, but you don't want to be borrowing money on your credit cards. You want to be living within your means and whatever level that is, um, it's possible. So I did a financial workshop um, that I teach. I've taken stuff from all over the place, put it together and help people that work for me get their finances in order because that puts a lot of stress on you. It makes it really hard. That's awesome. And, and again, obviously, I know in our program, we do our best to teach all sorts of areas uh, to grow and develop our people. I love that, you know, you're doing that. And that's one of the things about being a franchisor that actually you're able to do is really have a real impact on people's lives. In terms of learning, you know, Richard, if you look back over the last three decades, you've talked about the strategic coach, you've talked about learning from books and podcasts, any other areas or courses that you've taken for our young leaders uh, that they'd be interested in? I would love every young leader on this podcast that's listening to sign up for the Dale Carnegie course. Yes, done it. Fantastic course. So I did it when I was 17 years old, two years before I did painting. And it was through Junior Achievement. I was very lucky to get it for free through a sponsorship of Junior Achievement. I have paid now for probably a dozen people 
that I've sent, that I've paid for to go through the Dale Carnegie course. I sent my son to the Dale Carnegie course two years ago, and he went back and a year after he was a graduate assistant. Awesome. I've been a graduate assistant four times since I took the course. And every time I graduate assistant, you're in the class again, you relearn and you put a lot of the stuff in that really helps you. So I think it's really important to do that and to and live those values. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I knew I wanted to reinforce that for our young leaders. You know, here's a person who, you know, and again, I hope you're okay with me saying this, uh, Richard, but massively successful because that's what you've been. Okay. And most people would think that, gee, if I'm massively successful, spending my time wherever I want, uh, having these businesses run independently wealthy, why would I still be learning? Well, no, that's what massively successful people do because they still recognize, hey, I I still want to learn. I still want to grow. I still, you know, that's what life's about, right? And it's really exciting what you're doing. It is every day. I mean, financial success is sort of a means, but once you have that, and, and many of your listeners will, and you'll hit that point, you have to have other things. You have to have something that gets you motivated to get out of bed right. every day and do. And for me, it's helping other people and growing other people and helping other people achieve their goals. That's what gets me out of bed. So I'm only turning 50. I'm sure I'm going to live to 100, if not more. <laughs> That's my plan too, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, did one, I did one Ironman to prove to myself that I could do it. Uh, but I don't want to do it again because it could kill you if you do too many of those. <laughs> I think they're hard on your body. So I hear you. <laughs> very, very hard. But I keep in shape and I eat healthy. So I want to live a long time. And I want to spend, you know, this sort of the next 50 years of my life making this much positive change in other people's lives and helping other people. And it gives me such joy and fulfillment whenever I hear somebody that's benefited or learned and been able to use it in their life. Well, fantastic. Well, Richard, I'm going to ask one more question, but I wanted to thank you for making such an impact on our group here. And, uh, you know, really, really, uh, I'm so appreciative. But the final question I have for you is when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? I think of a leader tomorrow is someone that is very innovative, out of the box, and just everyone wants to be around. That's what I see. Fantastic. Fantastic. Because that's actually what you've been. (laughs) innovative, out of the box, creating all sorts of dynamic businesses. It's been amazing reconnecting. And uh, thanks so much for spending time and go enjoy the sunshine in Miami Beach today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll talk to you soon, Richard. Hey, leaders. We've got a ton more interviews like this one coming up in the next few weeks. So if you're listening and you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to Leaders of Tomorrow. If you enjoy our content, please give us a share on your Facebook feed, or better yet, tell your three most driven and entrepreneurial friends about this podcast so they can join us in discovering what set these powerful business leaders apart from the crowd at such a young age. 